Welcome to the South Carolina State Library's podcast, Library Voices SC. I'm Curtis Rogers, Communications Director, and today I'm pleased to have with us in our virtual podcast studio, Heather Gilbert and Tyler Mobley. Heather is Associate Dean of Collection and Content Services and Interim Director of Special Collections and Archives at the College of Charleston Libraries. And Tyler is Digital Services Coordinator, also at the College of Charleston Libraries, and together they are co-directors of the Lowcountry Digital Library. This is also the second in a series on the South Carolina Digital Library. So welcome to the podcast, both of you. Thank you so much for having us, Curtis. It's great to be here, thank you. Thanks for joining me. So um, let's start with you, Heather. Can you kind of give us an overview of the South Carolina Digital Library's <laughs> coastal region? And I know you also call it the Lowcountry Digital Library. And, and what do you do there? Uh, yeah, so I can kind of maybe shed some light on what that means with the Lowcountry Digital Library and related to the South Carolina Digital Library. So the South Carolina Digital Library's coastal region uh, for the state of South Carolina, we divide the state up into three rough regions, the upstate, the midlands, and what we call the coastal region. And that includes the Lowcountry region and the coastal properties in the PD region of South Carolina. And as part of the South Carolina Digital Library services, we have partnering organizations can participate in two different ways. They can either host and maintain their own digital library or digital repository that gets harvested into the South Carolina Digital Library, or they can participate with one of three, you know, regional repositories where we host all the content for them and their content still goes into the South Carolina Digital Library. And that's where the Lowcountry Digital Library comes in. The Lowcountry Digital Library is one of those coastal, um, it's a um, one of those regional repositories that feeds into the South Carolina Digital Library. And so what I do there is I represent the coastal region. So I work with any sort of new institutions can reach out to me if they're interested in participating in the South Carolina Digital Library, but they just don't know how. I can explain the different pathways to participation, different kind of relative costs associated with each pathway. Um, there's no charge or fee to participate in the South Carolina Digital Library at all. We, we were really firm about keeping that participation, um, that participation free. But, um, you know, if, if an institution decides that they want to build and host their own collections, there are some inherent costs associated with that. And that's how we can um, help institutions that haven't done them, that kind of cost estimate. We can definitely help them with that. We can point them towards some different software platforms that um, we've used before or um, investigated before. We kind of do a lot of general consulting um, on how to digitize collections, how to describe collections, how to you know, do some basic digital preservation for your collections. These are all kind of things that I do in my role with the South Carolina Digital Library. That's fascinating. It's kind of amazing when you talk about it like that. It's kind of like, what don't you do when it comes to, <laughs> comes to digital libraries? <laughs> oh, it's a big, big pool of stuff that needs to get done for digital libraries. Don't you worry. There's still plenty I don't do. <laughs> Definitely. So Tyler, tell us, um, what you do uh, with the, the Lowcountry Digital Library and, and the role you play. Sure. Um, I've kind of had a, a hand in L LCDL in a few different directions over the years. Uh, currently, as co-director, we call it that, but I have most control over sort of the technical platform of the Lowcountry Digital Library. So I 
developed the repository in which we store our items, um, the catalog through which people discover our items, and um, sort of all the technical bits in between to make that possible. Of course, on the side, I'm also working with Heather with new partners, digitization ongoing, but I really, my primary focus is our sort of technical platform. And that's something as, as both of you are kind of talking to me, I'm, I'm of course taking some notes and taking it in because I think a lot of people, you know, when they're, they think of a library, they think of a library with books. And when they think of a digital library, I think a lot of people don't kind of understand just in the normal world, you know, about access, accessing, you know, primary resources and materials through a digital library. But of course, it's something that's very important to people who are doing researchers, uh, doing researching. If you could, uh, either one of you, talk about maybe some of the other kinds of local libraries that you work with, because you mentioned a lot, Heather. And are they academic libraries? Are they public libraries? Are they special libraries? What, what all do you do? Um, so we work with a host of repositories. It doesn't have to be necessarily even a library, so long as it is an institution that has a formal physical repository for archival materials. So in some cases, it's public libraries, it's academic libraries, it's historical societies, museums, private libraries. I mean, we are, we are very open to working with a wide variety of um, institutions, but they do have to be a formal collecting institution that has a repository for holding their own materials because the South Carolina Digital Library doesn't actually hold anything. It doesn't hold physical materials, but it doesn't even hold digital materials. It's all fed in through a variety of digital repositories. So much like that, we need our partners to be able to be holding institutions for their physical collections. A key thing to think about with LCDL and with the Low Country Digital Library and South Carolina Digital Library, I think is that they are collaborative partnerships. They are not, LCDL is not the li digital library of the College of Charleston. It's a collaborative work between multiple institutions, big and small, all collaborating towards one catalog. Um, in the same way, SCDL is big and small institutions across the state working together for sort of one shared platform for discovery for the public. But it is not just handing over objects to any one person and then being in control of that one pool. Yeah, um, you know, the Low Country Digital Library, Tyler, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're up to 20 different partner institutions. Yes, that's correct. And I know that the South Carolina Digital Library has upwards of over 60, I think now. So, you know, Easily, it's, yeah. it's really all about providing that um, integrated discovery solution for any researcher to use that really can, you know, search the broadest collection of primary source materials. That's, that's really fascinating. And when you think about this kind of collaboration, is this kind of a model that you see in other states or do you, or is this unique to South Carolina? Um, I've definitely seen it in other states. It tends to be a little better funded in other states. Um, I mean, you know, just to be honest, right, we know where we are. We're in South Carolina. Um, so uh, there's not a lot of permanent funding for this type of work. But, you know, a really great way around that is by building these kind of collaborative networks and, and, and you know, leveraging existing talent across the state to contribute to these projects. Because while we might not have funding for, you know, three permanent full-time or, you know, permanent full-time staff, we do have little pieces of our time and we all feel very very passionately about the project. And that's how come, you know, 
we are how many years into South Carolina Digital Library? It's 15 plus? I walked into um, SCDL offices as an undergrad student in 2008 or 2009. So I think beyond that, 2015, 2016, I'm sorry, 2005, 2006, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, the South Carolina Digital Library has really kind of stood the, stood the test of time. And when we be, became involved with the Digital Public Library of America, um, we were actually called upon to consult with multiple other states that were looking to develop their own statewide, statewide network of digital collections. That's fascinating. And one of the things that, um, Heather, I think you mentioned the phrase digital preservation. I think, you know, a lot of people, especially even me working in a library myself, I think that, you know, when something is available on a digital collection, like let's say a manuscript or some kind of other primary resource, that it's preserved, that's it, you're done. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's the, the digital file is preserved, but can you talk to, uh, either one of you talk to how digital preservation actually works? Do you have to have like the same document backed up on multiple servers in different areas or, or how, do, how does all that fit into this? There's, there's a lot of layers to that question. Um, everything from, the resolution at which we scan a given image or document has an effect on that. I mean, you can see large institutions that had digital libraries as early as, you know, 25 years ago. They have digital copies of materials, but they don't stand the test of time because they weren't preserved at a high enough level. So those are those have been lessons learned over the years. But um, beyond that, once we have files, we tend to operate in what we call a rule of three, where we have try and have three copies of a given digitized object. There's, there's a number of layers. So we have a on-site local copy, we have a presentation copy, and we have gigabytes and gigabytes of copies of digital materials in Amazon's dark storage that we don't even touch just on the off chance that something goes wrong. So uh, Heather, you can probably add more, but it's, it, it's multifaceted for sure. Yeah, digital preservation is a very complicated issue when it comes to preserving born digital or digitized content. Uh, and it is, there are a variety of levels of digital preservation that can be applied to um, collections. Uh, people do tend to think that once you scan something and maybe put it online, like you did it, high five, good job it's preserved. Um, but, you know, something that if you take a long view of digital preservation is right now, you know, if we are scanning a manuscript, we are going to scan and um, save a TIFF copy of it at um, a high resolution as our preservation copy. And then we're going to create a lower resolution JPEG as our access copy. And the access copy is what'll go online because it'll load faster. And the preservation copy is, is um, what'll get stored and backed up. But what happens 50 years from now, 100 years from now, if TIFFs aren't the standard format that is readable 
by software, right? I mean, it wasn't so long ago that WordPerfect documents were kind of the industry standard. And now archivists are trying to figure out like, how do we preserve these WordPerfect documents? I don't even have WordPerfect. I can't even open them anymore. So when you start looking at digital preservation and, and you look out 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, you have to constantly think about how you're going to migrate these digital files over time and how you're going to back them up. As Tyler mentioned, we do this kind of rule of three, which is kind of really like the minimum standard of digital preservation. And you don't want to consider like an external hard drive to be one of those backup rules, right? Because external hard drives fail all the time. You want to find some cloud storage. You want to find server storage. If you're going for server storage, you want your servers to be in, you know, disparate locations. Because if there's a tsunami that hits the East Coast, you still want that server to be backed up someplace where there wasn't that tsunami, right? So you're really trying to find ways of preserving your content and think about ways that you can ensure that it gets migrated over time. And that's, and that's a big issue that archivists everywhere are trying to wrap their heads around now because, it, I mean, I don't have answers for you. I just know that we're doing kind of the best that we can right now. But over time, it's going to be really, really fascinating to watch digital preservation continue to develop. And just a final addendum to that it's it's not also not just the object itself and a digital copy of that it's also the metadata for those objects the metadata being um data about data as it's called um which is how we describe digital objects so if we have a picture of someone who is on that picture when was it made all that stuff but that is its own data portability issue too how do we keep that going um much like we someone probably did put metadata in a word perfect file 25 years ago or 30 years ago and how does that port over so that's sometimes it's not even just the object but how we even describe the object is an issue of digital preservation and that goes into do we want to use metadata standards that are specifically for preservation right so the south carolina digital library uses dublin core in the low country region we use mods metadata which is metadata object descriptive schema i think that gets migrated and transformed into dublin core when it goes into the south carolina digital library but you know premise uh, spelled P-R-E-M-I-S, is a metadata standard that is specifically for preservation level metadata. Now, I don't know that that's being universally used because it does add an extra layer of staff time and expertise. And if we're all just being buried under this deluge of digital content, do we really have time to be adding premise level metadata to it? But, you know, at at a fundamental level, a lot of digital libraries, us included, use Excel spreadsheets to, you know, track metadata. But Excel is not a great way to preserve your metadata long term. So maybe you want to consider saving it as a .csv file or a .txt file, which, you know, are much more extensible over time. That's fascinating. As someone who has worked in libraries for a little over 33 years, it, it's amazing how all of these different aspects of um, uh, data, you know, come about because I think a lot of people who may be listening, you know, have never heard the word metadata, uh, but they have used a digital library and, you know, I'm, I'm always fascinated if I'm looking at a, a, a digitized object that, uh, like Tyler, you mentioned TIFF format, it even actually says in the metadata, who digitized that image? So, you know, it's, it's fascinating that all of that data about uh, 
those documents or those images, you know, is, is well preserved in there. Um, one thing I'd like to ask both of you is, uh, and this is for listeners who, you know, may not have ever been to the website or, or looked for anything in the Lowcountry Digital Library, but if someone were going online and they were looking at uh, the Lowcountry Digital Library, and by the way, we'll have a link to that in the uh, podcast page description, what would they see? How would they see things organized and what kind of things would they find? From the homepage of LCDL, Lowcountry Digital Library, um, we've tried to sort of combine two different approaches to discovering materials. We have a sort of browse approach and we have a more um, specific searching researcher level approach. If you were laying on the homepage of the Lowcountry Digital Library, you would see options to browse by institution. Um, so you could see, you know, a list of the partners we have, and then from there see collections associated with those partners. Um, you could browse by collection directly. And we try and keep it fairly simple on the initial website. However, once you go to view a collection, or should you um, search from our keyword search on the homepage, you're taken to a much more robust catalog search that provides some really granular options for um, controlling what you're looking for. I'm sure a lot of users have, even if you've been on Amazon, you've used what would be called a faceted search interface. Um, but a lot of people might not know that's what that's called. Um, so if you're, in, if you're in our catalog, you'll see your results. And on the left side of the screen, um, you're given a number of filters by which to control your search. Say you've searched azalea, because there's no lack of them around here. And you see on the side, there's actually a number of institutions with items related to azaleas. If you click, let's say, the Charleston Archive at Charleston County Public Library, your results are further limited to um, just items at that institution. And we do that the same for collection, for subject headings, for date. Um, we try and give users a lot of control over their own research because a lot of the point of a, a platform like LCDL and SCDL is that we are not curating data for people um, and we are trying to keep sort of that curatorial bias out of the catalog system. Um, we just want to provide all of the items that we have, the metadata by which you could limit and discover those items, and then let people really um, form their own searches and make their own discoveries. And if I could give a little plug here for some of the fantastic technical work Tyler has done. One of the neat things that you can do in the Lowcountry Digital Library, and this is kind of one of my favorite examples, is because of all the transcription work that we've done, you know, there's so many handwritten documents that are part of the collections of the region. And we have, you know, taken, taken pains to work with our partners to transcribe a lot of them. And then Tyler has, has made those transcripts full text searchable. So sure, you could be researching the Drayton family and type Drayton in, but let's say that, you know, you were researching if uh, there were any, you know, something much more specific. Let's say you're researching if peaches were used to um, produce alcohol or um, if there are any spirits being distilled on these plantations. Um, you could actually do a search like that and it would take you to a very specific page in a diary that is from the Drayton family that specifically indicates that peaches were grown on this date and they were used to distill spirits later on. So it's that kind of, it's that kind of value added search 
research feature that um, really gives us the freedom to let the researcher take their time and dig through things. And that's, you know, in part to Tyler's fantastic technical expertise. Well, Pishaw, thank you. <laughs> I was going to wait for you to, to gush. <laughs> um, but anyway, as you know, as you're talking about both uh, the, the, that kind of level of, of data, one of the things that's popped into my brain is how, do, and I'm not sure I'm even phrasing this correctly because I don't know enough about it. How are digital libraries and specifically Lowcountry Digital Library, how is the search engine optimization done? In other words, if somebody's doing a, just a Google search for like, uh, you know, something that may be in that collection, is that going to come up in Google or is it going to be at a certain level of information that they would be able to find something that specific? It does. It does come up. I don't want to get too far in the weeds on that, but um, what, what we've done with the catalog system is that it's, it's very discoverable, very crawlable, and that there is a lot of readily accessible text on the page for services like Google to crawl across and put that in results. So in terms of SEO, it's actually very effective because when you're thinking about what amounts to, at this point, about 119,000 records, but they're all... 119,000 very text heavy, very well described records. Um, so on one hand that speaks to, it's a system that works very well at, at being interoperable with other systems on the internet, but also it speaks to, you know, the skill and dedication that people like Heather have put in to um, making our metadata really good. Cause that's what matters. Cause we could have a really good system and a very good discoverable system but if our metadata weren't strong enough and it's not described well enough, then those items just aren't really going to show up. So that's that's really how that's happening is the standards we use to describe the items. And I will say that, you know, I've I've looked at a lot of um, other statewide digital library efforts in different states, and we do have a very robust metadata schema. In the state, there are some states that only require a handful of uh, metadata elements. You know, the South Carolina Digital Library requires more than a handful. The Lowcountry Digital Library requires and recommends quite a bit more than a handful. And so that is really because we do want to make this content so discoverable. So our partners really are, um, a bit of the true heroes here for for sticking with us through all of our crazy metadata requirements but we think it really pays off because of the robust description that they provide us and and that is definitely the case because if you know there is something very unique uh, you know primary resources in the collection you want anyone to be able to find them easily so i can definitely see where you know you want someone who's just googling for something that you know to be able to come up in the list of results so kind of moving along in our conversation, and this can tend to be a more personal question, but what do you each consider some of the most interesting things in the Lowcountry Digital Collection? Like our favorite collections? Yeah, or maybe just something you've come across that you thought, oh, wow, this is just the coolest thing. I've got a few. So I really like uh, Colton County Memorial Library. It's a small library in Walterboro, and we helped them digitize a number of items. They had a wonderful collection that was all on the history of their bookmobile. 
and when I was there uh, meeting with them about that, I noticed um, a large ledger that they had that we digitized for them ultimately. It's their Highway Commission ledger from 1911 to 1932. And when we helped them digitize it, we discovered that it documents the use of chain gang and prison labor in the construction of the highway system. Um, and we thought, I mean, I thought that that was, that's kind of rare to run into some some real concrete documentation of that, some real detailed discussion of it during like meetings and um, some really excellent notes there. I really like that. Um, and a more on the lighter side, um, uh, Beaufort County Library has this great uh, collection of stereoscopic images. They're from the Civil War and the Reconstruction era, so they're not necessarily light, but they have digitized them front and back and then we've worked with them to create the actual 3D image so that if you have on 3D glasses, it actually looks like a three-dimensional image. So that's the LA Hall, Civil War, and Reconstruction Area stereoscopic images. So that's really fun. Um, and it really is kind of a great way to kind of experience a stereoscopic image. You, you, can, you can kind of get a feel for it. We have a couple uh, collections that have um, um, stereoscopic images like that. I also think that the South Carolina Historical Society has their Rose Hill Plantation Time Books digitized from 1878. And those are really important because they document the names and jobs of the enslaved men and women who were on that plantation at the time. And that is, and, and there are pages of it where it is just lists of names. That's really important for people who are trying to trace their family histories, where their family histories have been obliterated. So that's a fantastic resource. Um, I'm also really proud of the work that the College of Charleston has done with the um, LGBTQ Life in the Low Country Oral History Project. So that's a project that is based in special collections at the College of Charleston, and it's part of their uh, SC LGBTQ, so South Carolina LGBTQ Outreach Access and Oral Histories Project. So um, I think that that's really um, a, a fantastic collection that is still still being added to. So I'll just throw in one. Um, I I have a a real fondness for. We have a collection. Um, well, the Charleston County Public Library, to be clear, has a really wonderful collection called the Jack Kylan Slide Collection. Jack Kylan was just a he was an engineer from Pittsburgh who moved to Charleston in the 40s, and a large portion of the collection at the public library is um, his world travels as sort of an amateur photographer. But the collection we have on LCDL is a, about a 50-year range of just amateur photography of a family in Charleston in a space. Um, and he's obsessed with azaleas and camellias, and I kind of am too, which is fine. And he's you see this transformation because he's in the 40s using probably Kodachrome or Kodacolor 35 millimeter um, camera. He's not really great with it initially. Almost everything is guaranteed to be out of focus, but he's so excited and there's portraits of everyone in the family and they're all wonderful. And you see this 50 year just transformation as he gets better a photographer and his camera gets better and you know, a, a place changes over time. Um, it's just always kind of struck me in a maybe a bit of a sentimental way, probably, but um, I have a fondness for it. I love some of the photographs in that collection because some of them are posed kind of classic family photographs, mm. and some of them are photographs of kids that clearly don't want to be photographed <laughs> and they're just furious looking. And it's just this really like snapshot of a time period. It's great. You see, the styles, you see the 40s and you see the 50s and you see the 70s and it is distinct and it is, it's fun to watch, but yeah. 
That's what a lot of people I think uh, don't realize is that, and, and you can get lost in those collections. I've looked at some of those photo collections in uh, the South Carolina Digital Library and you know, specifically looking for ones that are library related, but I have come across other ones that are kind of like what you're describing. And you know, you look up and it's 30 minutes later and you're like, what? You know, I have just completely spent you know, way too much time looking through all this stuff, but it really is fascinating. It does speak to, not only the history of our state, but um, the history of lots of different things. You know, it's it's just hard to uh, figure out what to concentrate on, but definitely for someone who's doing some specialized research, you know, all that information is going to be there. Um, so uh, as we wrap up, uh, just wondering, do you have any kinds of um, special upcoming projects that relate to the Lowcountry Digital Library or South Carolina Digital Library you'd like to mention? Um, nothing, nothing particularly concrete right now. We have a um, we have a couple of grant proposals that are kind of under consideration. So we don't have any more information to share about that yet. We have um, good plans for developing some some more educational outreach programs, but uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic and some of the restrictions that we're under because of that has kind of curtailed some of that planning for now. But it's all. That, um, that's definitely a bit backburnered, but that doesn't mean that it won't happen in the future once we're all a little more vaccinated and safe. So Absolutely. stay tuned. Great. Well, thank you uh, both so much for being with me today and talking about, uh, you know, these amazing collections that are online and available to anyone basically with an internet collection. And um, just to kind of mention, the, the main South Carolina Digital Library is scmemory.org. And then you also have the Lowcountry Digital Library, specifically that's lcdl.library.cofc, that's for College of Charleston, .edu. And again, we will have links to that on our podcast page. So thank you both so much for being with us today. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you for having us. And thank you to our listeners. You can find Library Voices SC on Podbean, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, or add us on your favorite podcast app. Our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com. We love hearing from our listeners, so please send us your comments and suggestions for future topics. Library Voices SC is the official podcast of the South Carolina State Library. So until next time, this is Curtis Rogers. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.